Okay, last time we left off, we were speaking about rewards programs. And um, I just want to finish that up. And then we're going to go into the next chapter. I believe this is our second to last class. Tomorrow is our last class. So I hope that we'll have the opportunity to finish everything we wanted to cover. But um, we've certainly accomplished a tremendous amount. So one of the aspects that we need to speak about when we're speaking about a rewards program is that rewards need to be immediate, okay? And what does that mean? What that means is as follows. First of all, right after the child has achieved, that's where there's a great need for affirmation. So in, if you wait like a day or two to give the child a reward, the, the, the experience has sort of like waned. You know, it's, it's sort of calmed down. The iron is hot right after the child has achieved. So when we're giving a child a reward, we have to make the sure that the, that the reward is given right away. Now, don't ever give the reward before the performance, because then you've totally defeated the idea that you were trying to get across to begin with, which is you're challenging yourself in order to get that reward. So the kid comes to you and he says, can you just give me the reward? I promise you I'm going to do it. Now, what happens if the kid doesn't do it? You as the parent are stuck. It's important that whatever rewards are there, that's a reward for achievement. Now, we're going to let's just actually get to it now. In terms of the timing of the reward, you want to make sure that there's short-term and long-term rewards. Okay, so let me explain to you what this looks like. Um, as I mentioned to you, I was part of a Bill Pelham behavior modification program. Actually, when I was your age, my first summer when I was working in this program was the summer after Shana Aleph, and then I did it again after uh, after Shana Bet. And the amazing thing about this program is it has what we'll call extremely short-term rewards, short-term rewards, long-term rewards, and then really long-term rewards. Okay, so let me tell you what that looks like. This program that I worked in, actually some of you may have heard of it, it's now called uh, Simcha Special, in the uh, or the Diamond Summer Program, okay? Not Simcha Special like, like High Lifeline, but it was I think it's called the Diamond Summer Program now in the five towns. Jared, you've heard of that program? It's called the Diamond Summer Program. And originally it was being run by LIJ Hospital by a woman whose name was Dr. Mary Courtney. And she was the Talmidam of Heket of Bill Pelham. And so she started this program. It was the first program in an Orthodox camp. I think it was a Jewish camp. And what we did is we had, I, I believe it was 16 kids and 8 counselors. Okay, Because the kids we were taking into the program were... Everything from pervasive developmental disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD in the extreme, even obsessive compulsive disorder. And the idea was that you could modify a behavior by having an immediate consequence, both positive and negative, to anything that the kids did. And so what there was was a point system, okay? And any behavior, any behavior, literally any behavior that a child engaged in there was an immediate points consequence. So let's say of the eight counselors, there was a rotation. And this rotation was that every 15 minutes you switched who held the clipboard, okay? So while you were holding the clipboard for 15 minutes, your job was to take points. So if let's say, let's say Zevi Cohn was a, uh, was a fellow counselor, okay? And Eli Dahan was a fellow counselor, and, and Yosef Tokayer was a fellow counselor, and Jared Paris is a fellow counselor. 
And then we have Nachilo, who's a camper. Okay? And so Nachilo does an amazing positive thing. Yeah, Zevi, I see you laughing. You didn't expect me to go that direction. Ze- Nachilo does an amazing no, thing. Me and talk about behavior modification. Okay, perfect. So then it was Siad Deshmaya. So Nachilo goes ahead and he does an amazing thing and he exhibits amazing sportsmanship. So when a kid strikes out, he goes over to him and he puts his arm around his shoulder and he says, don't worry, you'll get it next time. So that would be, let's say, 50 points. 50 points to Nachilo. And, and Zevi... You as the counselor, you, Ellie, Jared, or Yosef, you would call out 50 points to Nachilo for amazing sportsmanship. And now I would take that down. Now five minutes later, Nachi might, you know, hit a, you know, hit a fly ball to the outfield and uh, he might exhibit extreme frustration and use inappropriate language. As a result, a counselor might call out inappropriate language, minus 25 points. And the kids knew the point system. I mean, the counselors aren't making up the points. The point system was clear from the beginning, it was hung up, the kids knew the points, okay? And the counselor's jobs was just to call out the points. So every 15 minutes was another set of intervals. Now, why did we do every 15 minutes? It was an amazing program. Let's say you have a kid who's on medication, and you want to know exactly when the medication wears off. So you can track it. This was a computer program. There was We had a person who worked in the office who was doing data entry. And every hour, they were collecting the points for that hour. So we would literally be able to see the spikes in the behavior and the the lows in the behavior, depending on where a kid's medication was holding. This way, we could get the medication adjusted perfectly. So every 15 minutes, there was was an interval change, and we would call it out. 15 minutes are up. The first interval of this period is over. So the kids would know, okay? And so there's an immediate points consequence. That was the first very short-term reward. They've earned points. Now, every single day, there's a daily reward. Okay, so now it's a short-term reward program. So they got the immediate points consequence that affirms that they've behaved appropriately or it lets them know, hey, that was an inappropriate behavior. At the end of the day, they had personal goals. Okay, every goal was personal. So if they hit those personal goals by the end of the day, there was a reward at the end of the day. Maybe the reward was extra canteen. Maybe the reward was uh, was you know getting to uh, getting to go for an extra swim. Whatever the reward was, but there was a reward at the end of every single day. Now, how did you know how to adjust the rewards? So the first week of camp, basically all we did was take points, and at the end of the first week, every single kid got to go on a trip. Okay, but for the second week they had to do 10% better than they did the week before. Do you guys realize how brilliant that is? The reason it's brilliant is because that tells the kid, you're not competing against anyone else. You're just competing against yourself. You have to do incrementally better every single week. So at the end of every week, there was a long-term reward. And that long-term reward was, if you do 10% better than you did last week in terms of the points that you got, we are all going on a trip. Now, if you didn't do 10% better, you stayed behind in camp, and you had a regular day of camp. If you went down in points, then there was a negative consequence. So for that day, you might be working in the kitchen with the waiters, right? Or you might be uh, cleaning the campus. So there was a negative consequence. And this incentivized every week. The kids are like, okay, I want to get that reward. It's going to be a great reward. We told the kids, this week we're going to uh, Adventureland. This week we're going to Rye Playland. This week we're going... And we had, an, we had a, a larger budget because we were doing these bigger trips every single week, okay? So there was the short-term immediate consequence of 
They had the points. That feels good. They get that affirmation. There's a daily there's a daily reward program. There's a weekly reward program. And then there's a monthly reward program because the summer is split into two halves. So at the end of the first half, there's a, there's a huge thing of like who won the, the following awards for the first half. And then again, we did that in the second half. And in the second half, obviously, we did it like, okay, who got it for the summer? Now, who worked in these programs? Okay, we had two bunks. I think each had 16 kids, if I'm not mistaken. Which counselors were hired? The counselors that were hired to work in this program had to be the best counselors from the regular mainstream camp. So if you were an awesome color war general when you were 16 or 17 years old, then when you came back Poshana Aleph, you were hoping, you were chalishing to work in this program. And if you got chosen, because you got an elevated salary, so it was something you really wanted to do, aside from the fact that it was an amazing work, if you got chosen to do it, it was especially meaningful because it was like, I'm getting to change these kids' lives, and I know I'm getting to change these kids' lives. And so the counselors were amazing. And even if we were dealing with some of the most challenging kids, these counselors were so geschmack and so positive that the kids wanted to do better. And so that was a really amazing part of working with the program. And I'll share with you that the only reason I'm in Chinuch today, I shouldn't say the only reason, that's an exaggeration, but perhaps the main reason that I'm in Chinuch today is because I had the opportunity to work on that program. We started off with 16 kids. Every single one of them had been thrown out of yeshiva. That was the criteria to get in. You had to be so crazy that they wouldn't let you back into yeshiva. And by the end of the summer, every single kid had gotten back into yeshiva. because, Except for one. But that was because he had to leave camp because he physically assaulted another kid and knocked out his two front teeth. But aside from that, every single kid got back into got back into yeshiva and their behavior during the year was different because they trained the behavior through the rewards now again i'm not a pure behaviorist but i'm t- but rewards work but the timing of the reward is critical if you promise the reward you got to get it right away and you got to create a system the reward happens right away the reward happens over the course of a day, the reward happens over the course of a week, and the reward can happen even over the course of a month. But if you tell a child, six months from now, you're going to get a reward, no child has the capacity to be able to hang on that long. No eight-year-old can think eight, you know, eight weeks, 12 weeks in advance. You can set up a weekly reward, and then four weekly rewards could become a monthly reward, Right? And you can even make rewards for two months. But there has to be a more immediate consequence. Otherwise, the child doesn't feel the reward. Okay, let's stop here for any questions, comments, or reactions. Zevi. Um, let's say, I'll take an example that's a little prevalent to me, but what if you have a system where the kid gets a reward, let's say, every three or five times, and then at the end, let's say let's say he's learning bar mitzvah. He's, he's, so every three or five, every time he finishes, he gets a reward, but what about the end? That's still six months off. Right. So as long as he's getting those short-term rewards along the way, then it's okay because it's part of a process and the kid can chart their process. So let's say, for example, let's take your let's take your example. A kid is uh, working hard on his bar mitzvah. You want to give him a reward to incentivize him. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. And so you're doing it based on the aliyah. Right? But you mentioned it might take him, you know, let's say two weeks to finish an aliyah. Right, so you don't want to be, you don't want to just have it as like two weeks because that that might be too long, right? So this is a childish example, right? And I'm not suggesting you would do this with a 13 year old kid, but the reason we have stars on a oak tag is because it allows a child to track their progress. So there needs to be something that the child can see something in the immediate. Okay, like 
this aliyah was, let's say, uh, 30 psukim. So we've charted that every 10 psukim, you know, we're doing something small to recognize I've achieved 10. And then 10 becomes 30, and that's where the first burst hit. And then ha- that's how you do it over the course of the over the course of the thing. But if you just do the two weeks, you know, you might lose the kid in between. Uh, Daniel Gross. All right. Um, this is more, this question is more to do with younger kids. Yeah. System, let's say it's individualized with the person. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make up two games. We'll say Joe and Bob, right? Okay. So Bob is a wilder kid, Joe is not. So let's say Bob, I say every time he quote unquote doesn't miss, doesn't, I don't know, kick and scream like like crazy, he gets a chocolate, right? When if they were teenagers and make, I think they both would be able to understand, but when they're little, I can almost imagine Joe being like, well, I never kick and scream, why am I not getting rewarded? Right. Like, so, like, how do you explain that for, how do you explain that to a kid? Because I feel like a kid won't be able to get that. They'd see, all right, he's doing less work than, like, I, what he's trying to do, I do all the time. He's getting rewarded for it. No one's giving me anything. Right, right. Well, first so, of uh, all, first of all, let's take, let's say that Bob is the kid who's having the, is, did I get that right? Is Bob the kid having the, uh, the temper yeah. tantrums? Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, remember that not having a temper tantrum is hard to track. Right, because it's like it's hard to it's hard to reward the lack of a behavior. That was one of the values of having the point system, right? Let's say not having a temper tantrum. Say if he goes a day without a temper tantrum, we'll get like a chocolate or something. Right. So again, that might be hard to do for certain kids. Okay, because let's say a kid has um, just saying, let's say a kid has oppositional defiant disorder. Okay, and he literally like you give him a command, he goes the other direction, and he has a temper tantrum. Right. So you could say to the kid, let's say this is what we would have done in the in the behavior mod program that I worked in. Okay, we would have said, okay, you know, we're tracking these points. Your goal is not to get any of these negative behaviors. We would have specific negative behaviors. It wouldn't just be temper tantrum, right? Because temper tantrum is 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 a large. That's a large thing, right? It's like we want we don't want you. You know, we're watching this hour that you get. You know, no inappropriate language points, no physical aggression points. You know, and then by the end of the hour. You know, one of the one of the counselors would go down the thing and and go over to the kid and pull him over to the side and go, "You just did an awesome hour." You know, and then you're you're getting. We might even say you're getting another fifty extra points because you did that hour. And by the way, when you do it, you'll see the kid's grin will light up from ear to ear. But that wasn't your question. Your question is now. Joe is sitting there saying, "Well, I never have a temper tantrum, right?" But your case is actually a really good case because Joe is a kid who's also in behavior mod. Right, and so even at a young age, what we found is that kids have the sophistication to know that this is what I'm working on, and this is what he's working on. Right, so yes, Bob is working on controlling his temper, whereas Joe might be working on something completely different. And as long as the kid feels like you're invested in their growth too, right, it doesn't need to be equitable in the in the mission. It just needs to be that the kid is also part of a meaningful rewards program. And this actually speaks to a point that Aaron Tuckman has made a couple of times, right? Which is the sibling rivalry point. Sometimes you have a kid who's acting out and you have a kid who's like just a regular, you know, obedient child. Sometimes the kid who's the regular obedient child might feel really frustrated by like, I do everything right so I don't get the attention. You know what I'm saying? By the way, you see this a lot in yeshivas, right? Because guys will complain. The top guys get attention because they're the top guys, right? The bottom guys get attention because they are, you know, screaming for that attention. But a very 
good, middle-of-the-road, average kid, who's not the best and not the worst, might feel like he's falling through the cracks. That's where it becomes particularly insidious. But I do believe, Daniel, that kids do have the sophistication, as long as they feel like they're being invested in, they do have the sophistication to understand that each kid is different. And I've seen it in my own family, too. Alright. Zevi. So this curtails with with, uh, Daniel's question, but how do you make sure that a kid feels that way? Meaning, if, if I'm spending two hours working on this behavior program with my kid, and then 20 minutes a day with the other kid, that kid sees the 20 minutes, and he understands that you're spending 20 minutes with him. He also understands that you're spending two hours with the other one. Yeah. And that doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. And and you're, 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 you're touching on a particularly sensitive point, because we always tell parents it's not quantity time, it's quality time. Okay? But it's quantity time, too. And it's, it's, it's really hard... You know, let, let's just be very honest. If you've got a handful of kids and you have a job and you have your learning and you have your, you know, your work and you have your shul and you have your community, you know, we are asking you guys to juggle a tremendous amount. And it, there's no doubt that it's a tremendous amount of responsibility. And you're, you're probably going to make mistakes in this area and you're probably going to invest perhaps more time in one child than in another. And the only good solution that I have for you, Zevi, is you have to be conscious of that and really try to divide your time as much as you can. And yes, some kids are naturally going to take up more. And some kids are going to be the less squeaky wheel, and you will hear from them. You'll, they'll tell you, like, yep, you don't pay as much attention to me because I don't squeak as much. And you have to be listening. You have to pay attention for those cues, and you know, you, ha- you may have to apologize sometimes, and you may have to make course corrections you know, to spend some, you know, some real quantity time, not just quality time, with that other kid as well. It's and it's it's nearly an impossible balance. That's I can share with you. It's certainly not an easy one. Nachi, hasn't it been proven that <clears throat> the uh, variable um, reward system is more effective than a fixed reward system? Okay, now when you say that, what exactly do you mean? Like more effective in establishing a behavior and, and retaining it. So it it really depends on the kid, and it really depends on the program. There there's there are there there are a lot of um, combination programs that you can do, and it's true. That, yeah, I, I mean like the the four basic types of, of reward systems. Of I don't I don't know if everybody's familiar, like, but if not, then then it doesn't matter. It's, it's not there's no time right now but no no, no but, well, all i'm saying is that the, the point here is not to get into the, the there you can combine a lot of these systems by the way and that's what that's what i was trying to show you before that you have individualized systems that are working on particular behaviors within a larger system that's more structured but even aside from that um the key here is is the timing that's what i'm trying to highlight the timing of the reward the kid cannot see into the future that's what's critical right right so 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 that's what i'm saying is that the most effective reward system is a variable interval reward system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but isn't that, that's sort of not, because that's when they don't know when the reward is coming. So they, it's not it's not clear to me that they that not knowing when the reward is coming is always a good thing. Some kids, especially when they're oppositional, they need to know when the reward is coming. But what we try to do is we try to throw in random awards so that they don't know it's so that they also are kept on their toes. So, for example, let's say let's say let's say your trip day was Thursday, right? So you might 
let's say on a random morning, we used to do this. Let's say it was raining. So we, you know, now the kids are stuck indoors. Our kids cannot be stuck indoors. So we had an additional budget and we would say, okay, anyone that's accrued over a certain amount of points this morning by 12 o'clock, they didn't know that, we're taking them to the batting cages, you know, which was indoors. So that, that's also not intervallic. That's a, that's a fixed ratio system. Depends, again, depending on how you do it. So, oh, okay. Okay? Okay, Rabo Weiter. Here's another key point that you need, what's called? Here's another key point that you need to know. Rewards programs have to be performance-based and not effort-based. Okay, and that goes against a lot of the things that we've said so far. Because obviously we want to reward effort and not performance. We want to let a child know that they are valuable, right, regardless of their success. However, when it comes to a reward-based program, because the idea of what we're trying to do is not to get the kid to try harder, but to get him to succeed. So you have to reward the success and not the attempt, okay? And so even though in general we have to encourage effort, here we don't incentivize effort. Right? Rewards encourage repetition. So if you reward a behavior, then the behavior will, re- will be repeated, and that's good. If you reward effort, then the effort will be repeated. And it's not clear that just because a child has given a certain level of effort, even if that effort is more, that is going to lead to success. Okay? So we're in, specifically when it comes to rewards-based programs, it's really important. You're not rewarding the effort. You're rewarding the success. And when a kid says, but I tried really hard, you have to validate that and you have to be sensitive to that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've earned the reward. Okay? Okay. Last but not least, and then I want to go uh, I want to go on to the next part of the program. What's the role of the parent in this case? Okay? The role of the parent is to be a parent and not a judge. Okay? So This is a very clearly defined system. You either performed or you didn't perform. Okay, So the parent is not in any role where they have to make a judgment call. You either did or you didn't. So this way, any, any frustration that the child may have, even though it may outwardly look like it's being directed at the parent, it has nothing to do with the parent. Because the parent is not making a judgment call. You either did or you didn't. Your job was to get an 85 on this test. You got an 83. You didn't get the reward. Maybe you'll get the reward next time. But for this, the parent must be emotionally detached. Okay? The choice is in the hands of the child. The parent's emotions cloud the issue. Okay? This is not about a parent being frustrated. The whole point of the system is you don't have to be frustrated. Your kid either performed or he didn't perform. So if the child didn't perform, the consequence is now natural. They're not getting that reward. If the child did perform, then with a lot of, you know, then you have the opportunity to, you know, be proud of the child, etc., etc., but you're not judging the child, you're just, you're giving the reward. The child, it's child-centric. The child has earned it. Okay, so that finishes up the sections on rewards. Any last questions before we go on? Yes, Ellie Schiff. Oh, Jonathan, you'll be next. Ellie Schiff. Um, would would you say that it's, that it's, like, when it comes to rewards, like, you tell your kid to get an 85 or 90 or whatever, and they come home with one point less, like, would you say that it's 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 wrong to, to be like, you know, I, I think, you know, like a judgment call, like, I'll, you know, 
emotions, whether, you know, of course, like, you want your kids to succeed, so you're going to let your emotions get a little bit in the way. But you say, you know, I, I think that, you know, I think that I think you put in enough effort, whatever it is. And, and that, you know, like, is there, like, a limit you'd say, like, once it's an 83, it's, like, pushing it? Or, like, an 84 is okay to do? Like, do you think that there's any, any, any ever, any ever leeway to, to, to do that? Right. Okay. That's an awesome question. First of all, um, parents have to be really smart. Okay, so you have to know, remember, whatever you reward will be repeated. So you, you have to know, was did this me, even though I said 90, the kid came home with an 89, you know, they just made a stupid mistake. All right, so you may choose to reward that kid for the 89. But then remember, that's the behavior that you've rewarded, which means that's the behavior that will be repeated. So parents need to make a judgment call. Sometimes a parent could be very foolish in their judgment call, being exceptionally rigid, where it really calls for compassion. Because you might turn the child off and you might do greater damage by not giving them the reward. At the same time, it does become a little bit of like a game. Like, okay, so 90, 89 is good enough. What about an 88? What about an 87? What about an 86? Right? And so you got to be, there has to be a standard too. And that's the job of a parent is to, is to make the decision intelligently. And by the way, we used to have this in the behavior mod program also. Let's say a kid did 8% better and not 10% better. So that became a conversation that the counselors would have with the therapists. We had a couple of therapists on staff, usually three or four every day, that we were working with. And we would together as a team say, we think that the child has reached the mark, even though the numbers don't necessarily re reflect that. And by the way, the same could be true on the opposite side. A kid might do 10% better, right? But sometimes we would wonder, how did they do 10% better, right? Was that our own ego clouding the way or is something else going on? So yes, Ellie, I do think there's room for leeway, but it has to be done very intelligently. It's a slippery slope. Great question. Jonathan Goldberg, Schlitte. Hi, uh, Rosberg. So how, how do you feel like about uh, giving money as a reward, like an allowance? So, like, yeah, so an allowance is a really important question, okay? Um, See, the challenge is this. You have to make sure that you're putting your kid in a, in a position to succeed. So let's say you make your child's allowance reward-based. So you tell the kid, you're going to get $5 at the end of every week that you can use towards next week if you hit the following, you know, if you hit the following marks. Now let's say the kid doesn't get that $5, okay? And now he and his friends are going out to eat, but he has no money. So have you put the kid in a position where he feels that he may need to steal? You know, maybe maybe there's like a tzedakah box in the yeshiva that nobody's going to notice if he goes and takes a couple of dollars. Or maybe he sees his friend's wallet, you know. So sometimes when kids don't have the requisite amount of money, they make bad decisions because there's other pressures. So the challenge with making it allowance-based, right, is that they may not have what they need. And that might create a behavior that's much, much worse, Okay. Now, in terms of money, you also have to be careful. And again, especially depending on the kid's age, right? Too much money may give a child too much freedom to do things that they should not be doing, right? And so it's not always the best thing to, to give money because, it, again, it really depends on the age of the child and it depends on the specific child. But now let's say you have kids, you know, that are going to go out and... Uh, now they've, you know, they've saved up some money, they've saved up a couple hundred dollars, so now they're going to go buy things that would be uh, illegal at their age and in some states, right? And you may have enabled that by, um, 
by giving them that money. So you really have to think. I found personally, I don't. We don't do uh, financial rewards in our family, because the message that we try to send to our children is: if you need something, you come to us and we'll give you money. That's the program we have. We don't give them an allowance. In my family, we've chosen not to give them an allowance. But anytime the kids need anything, they come to us, and our attitude is okay. You, you, you know, we we all work as part of a family, so we share our money, and uh, you can have this money. In general, our rewards programs are, are we try to make them a little bit more meaningful. So we try to make them more like family based. Like, okay, if we as a family hit this mark, we're all going to go out to pizza and bowling on a Matzah Shabbos or something like that. We try to make it a more meaningful thing than just cash. But it could be that a kid is saving up to buy something and he needs, you know, I need to get the $300 in cash. A parent might choose to do it in that type of situation. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't tie it to allowance. That to me seems dangerous. Azevi, you had one last question? Okay. No, I already answered it before. Okay, say there. Anybody else before we move on? Simcha Shron Shlita. Does Jeremy mind if I ask two questions? Sure. Um, the first is a follow-up to uh, Ellie Schiff. Um, if, uh, would it make sense to speak with your kid? You're going to say, okay, I want you to get a 90 on the test, but you know, what would you say should happen if you got an 89? Maybe the kid will say, all right, no, hard 90, or maybe the kid will say, you know, if I tried really hard, but I made a silly mistake, then I'll get it. So does it make sense to have that conversation with your kid before? It could. It could make sense. The only thing is you might you might be creating, especially if you have it before, you might be creating a situation where the kid goes, great, I got it down from 90 to an 88, because we already made up that if it's an 88, you know what I'm saying, if the point is you were trying to move the kid from an 85 to a 90, and now because you've already put in that, you know, that little rider over there in the beginning that an 88 is going to qualify, you may have undermined the you know, the performance success from the very beginning. So I wouldn't necessarily have it right away. I'll tell you simply where I think you're making an excellent point. Now let's say the kid did get an 88, okay? So you as the parent might might emotionally detach yourself, which, I again, I have no problem with, and you might say, okay, you know, like, um, you, got an, you got an 88, you didn't do it. Or you might choose to engage the child in a conversation, and the child might say something like, Actually, I tried really hard, and I'm kind of frustrated with the grade that I got, especially, let's say, it's not something like math where they just made a careless mistake. Let's say it's something like, um, let's say it's it's something like a, like an English literature paper, and, you know, teachers could grade things based on the mood that they're in, you know, and they're moving really fast. The teacher may not be aware of the, uh, you know, of the program that the kid is on. And as a result, you know, they may give an 88 when they just as easily could have given a 90. So it might be a really valid thing to have a conversation with the kid at that point and say, okay, we're in a predicament. What should we do? You know, on the one hand, there's Din, and there's on the other hand, there's Rachamim. And the Din is that you were supposed to get a 90, and 88 is really close. And by the way, in that case, it might make a difference too, Simcha, if it's a, if we're speaking about a kid who, let's say, had gotten an 80 and we moved it up to a 90. Right, and 88 is you know 80 percent of the way there. Or if we were we're working from a place where the kid got an 85 and we're moving up to a 90, an 88 may not be meaningful enough to actually earn that reward. That was uh, your first question. What was your second question? Uh, my second question is about uh, Rebbe's monetary policy that he just talked about. So sure, I no problem. Wants to talk about it. It's for sure but okay. What is, <laughs> does that mean? Like. If, you're, if like the kid comes and says like I really want this like thousand dollar dress, not like a thousand dollar, like a very expensive dress, like they don't need, but like you know they want it. It's not like insanely expensive, but it's not something they need. So how, do, how does that work? First of all, I love that you think a thousand dollars on a dress is not insanely expensive. 
this is why this is why I raise my children in Eretz Yisrael. A thousand shekel is insanely expensive. Uh, you agree? Okay, good. I'm glad you agree. The um, so um, no, it it definitely does not mean that. And actually, I think it's a really important point that you're making, right? If a kid comes to us and says, "Hey, you know, my clothing is getting small on me because I'm going through a growth spurt and we need more clothing." That's certainly a reasonable request, and we'll take the kids shopping, right? If a kid comes to comes to us and says, "Hey, all my friends are going bowling, and I'd like to be able to go bowling with them," you know, would you guys, you know, give me money to go bowling? That's a meaningful request, and de- you know, depending on the situation, we could say yes or no. Obviously, we, you know, our gisha would be to say yes. Um, but when it comes to ex- what we'll call, let's say, extravagant expenses, okay, or unnecessary expenses. That's a really good opportunity to talk to the child about the values that you have as a family. So it might be that you create a situation then where you say, okay, look, you really wanted that $1,000 dress. That's important to you. So, you know, and you have, let's say, a behavior that you want to modify. It might be valuable to have a reward that goes along with that, you know, with that particular, uh, with that particular reward that they want. So you have, you have a behavior. She has a reward. So it could be it's a good shidduch. But I wouldn't necessarily buy them the dress just because we our policy is that you know it's sh- our family shares our money. By the way, I'm also not against allowance. I'm not against allowance. I just it, I I, be- I believe that it works better for our family to do it this way. I don't like the concept of a kid coming at the beginning of every week and saying, you know, like okay, give me my uh, give me my thirty shekel. You know, like give me whatever it is that you give them for allowance. I know some of you heard thirty shekel and you're like, I got fifty dollars a week for my parents, but okay, look. I didn't. I grew up with five five bucks a week. Back in the day, back when hot dogs only cost a nickel. All right, not a good enough joke. But say there, Viter. Price likes it. That's all that matters to me. Okay, let's move on to the uh, to the next. Uh, yeah, Ezra Jacobs. Um, would you say there's any benefit, like if the kid, let's say, gets an 88 instead of a 90? Uh, would you say there's any benefit in giving a slightly smaller reward as opposed to the whole reward that you would have gotten with nine? You could make up shara. You could. You could say, look, you got, again, I think it would depend on a case-by-case basis, but let's say you were working on getting from an 80 to a 90, and he got an 88, and he was supposed to get X. So you can come back to the kid and go, look, really we wanted you to get a 90. We don't want to give you nothing because we saw that you worked really hard and we value that. So what would you think about meeting halfway? You know, you could have that conversation, or you could make that decision. I think that's meaningful. But again, you have to be careful, because remember, the behavior that you reward is the behavior that's repeated, right? So you got to know that once you're minimizing the standard, expect that to be the repetition, because that might be good enough. The kid goes, yeah, I didn't need that big a reward. Getting 80% of that reward was good enough for me. But you also, but again, guys, I, I just want to go back to this for one second because you're you guys are harping on this point, and I'm 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 actually appreciating the fact that you're harping on this point because I think you're you're raising an important point, and I think the ultimate point that you're raising is maybe the mark that we asked the kid to hit, maybe it wasn't such a reasonable mark, right? If the kid is doing fractionally less than that, maybe we just pushed it too hard. That's also possible. And as you're making your decision, you have to ask yourself like, okay. You know, we were moving from an 80 to a 90. Maybe that was too fast. Maybe we should have been moving from an 80 to an 86, in which case getting an 88 was phenomenal. So you really have to ask yourself, was were you was your standard an appropriate standard too? Because that might help you make the decision of how to reward or not to reward in those situations. 
Okay. Um, we only have a couple of minutes left, so let's just start off on the next uh, on the next topic because tomorrow is our last year. So at least we'll make some headway. Um, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea. I want to uh, be able to start fresh tomorrow. I think that we're going to get uh, too much. Yes, Yoko? Rabbi, in that situation, if he gets like the 88, would it be more detrimental to not give any reward or give him like a chocolate chip, like one singular chocolate chip? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure how old the kid is, but when I'm toilet training my son, I give him one single you know, chocolate chip and he loves it. I can't, you know, if you've got a kid who's 10 years old and he's satisfied with one chocolate chip, I've got to wonder what's going on in your life. No, I'm just using that as like... You're saying the equivalent of one chocolate chip. I'm saying like the equivalent of a very significantly less reward. Also, does it make a difference if you only, meaning you only budge every now and then? Meaning not the full reward if he gets 88 and you see a repeat and say like, no, like, yeah, I think there could be something detrimental about giving a kid a reward that's basically not meaningful to them. Yeah, in, in some cases, it might just be better to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that you're going to get it next time. But if you give a reward that's basically meaningless, you, you might undermine the entire reward system to begin with. Right? You want to keep the rewards meaningful. Okay, Rabos, I will stop here for today, and I will see you for our last year tomorrow.